certainly thankful tonight to be with you and appreciate the invitation, the opportunity God has provided for us providentially to be here tonight. Um, knowing little unions I do, I know many prayers have been offered up on behalf of this meeting, and that should be an encouragement uh, to both me and you. Uh, we certainly should always recognize the importance of prayer, and especially as we come together to worship the Lord, we trust in spirit and also in truth. Tonight I'd like to take a look at a statement made about Christ found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We find here where the writer tells us that these things were done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet of the Lord uh, to the Lord's people, saying, A virgin uh, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This was a fulfillment of a prophecy made about 700 years prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by the prophet Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah 7 and 14, and the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, I'll show you a sign. Well, actually, Lord shall show you a sign. He was speaking to the current ruler of Judah at that time, the name of Ahaz. And the enemy had come out, uh, at, uh, out against Ahaz, and he was greatly concerned because of the great multitude of people uh, that was against him uh, that came out, of course, come out to do him harm. And the Lord was encouraging him. And we find where, first of all, Isaiah the prophet asked him to ask a sign of the Lord. Ahaz actually refused to do this, but then the prophet said, The Lord himself shall show you a sign. And that sign shall be that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and I shall call his name Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel is used twice, Isaiah 7.14 and Matthew 1.23. The expression Emmanuel means God with us. And that's a great truth that has given me comfort down through the years in knowing that the Lord has been with his people even since the very beginning of time. Now, the Lord has been with his people in different ways and different manners and um, different uh, aspects. And uh, there's never been a time when the Lord has actually not been with his people. But the very thought that the Lord uh, might or might not go with us was so uh, frightening, you might say, to a man by the name of Moses. That in Exodus chapter 33, Moses has asked the Lord uh, to show him his glory. And the Lord, in communicating with Moses, says, My presence shall go with thee. And Moses said, If thy presence go not with me, then do not send me. That's how concerned Moses was, that the Lord would go with him. And if I knew I was going to take any kind of trip for any kind of reason and didn't have the assurance that the Lord was going to go with me, uh, then I would not want to take that trip. It doesn't matter what the trip was all about if I knew that the Lord was not going to be with me. So Moses said, if you are not going to be with me, if your presence shall not be with me, then do not send me. But the presence of the Lord was with Moses, and God would show Moses his glory. You know, that chapter ends by God placing Moses in the cleft of the rock. And then he passed by, and Moses was able to see his hind apart, because no man could see the face of God and live. So God answered the prayer of Moses. He, his presence went with Moses, and Moses was able to see the glory of the Lord by uh, the Lord passing by with him being in the cleft of the rock. We find that when the Lord is with people, that, uh, first of all, you should be able to detect the presence of the Lord in your life, and also you should be able to see the presence of the Lord in the lives of other people. I go to Genesis chapter 21, and I find here where Abraham went to a land called Gerar, G-E-R-A-R. -R. Now, this was a borderline uh, piece of uh, territory between Canaan and Egypt. And uh, the Lord's, Lord's people find themselves oftentimes on this borderline. Uh, they're not all the way in Canaan. They're not all the way in Egypt. 
In other words, they got one foot over here in the church and one foot over here in the world. And usually when that happens, you'll be just like the man was who didn't want to join the North or the South in the Civil War. So he wore a blue shirt and gray pants. And you're going to find where the South shot him in the shirt and the North shot him in the pants. So that's where you'll find yourself when you're borderline, when you don't make a commitment. And Abraham is in enemy territory, and there's a man there who's the ruler of the name of Abimelech. And after we find chapter 20 ending with actually the Lord rescuing Abraham from Abimelech, that later on in Genesis chapter 21, Abimelech comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, along with his uh, chief uh, officer, he says, we have seen for sure that the Lord is with you. Now this is the testimony here of a heathen king. We have seen with assurance that the Lord is with you. And because they were able to detect that God was with Abraham, and he said, and, you, and God is blessing everything that you do, says we want you to enter into a covenant with us that you will do us no harm. That was pretty wise on behalf of this heathen king. In cha- chapter 26, we find Abraham's son by the name of Isaac. And guess where he's at? He's in that same place, Gerar. He's leaving the land of Canaan, heading toward uh, Egypt. But the Lord tells him not to go down to Egypt, to stay right where he's at. And then the Lord blesses him a hundredfold. We find that same ruler coming to Isaac. And he tells Isaac, we have seen surely that the Lord is with you. And therefore let us enter into an agreement that you will not harm us. But remember the kindness that we did unto you. Here we find a heathen king twice with Abraham and his son Isaac recognizes that the Lord is with them and is blessing them in everything that they do. You should be able to tell when God is blessing a person. You should be able to tell when God is blessing somebody that favor is being shown to that individual beyond, you know, not just in a normal way, but beyond what you might normally see. That's what Abimelech saw both in Abraham and also in Isaac. Then we find later on where the Lord speaks unto Jacob. And the Lord makes a personal guarantee to Jacob. He says, and I will be with you and will bless you and your seed to occupy this land. This is a promise he reiterates that he made, first of all, to his grandfather Abraham, then his father Isaac, and now to him. So we have the Lord being with Abraham, being with Isaac, and being with Jacob in an extraordinary way, you might see. And even the heathen king there in Gerar has recognized in the life of Abraham and also in Isaac. I move up here to Genesis chapter 37 to look at a young man that comes to our attention when he's 17 years old in Genesis chapter 37 in the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was uh, you know, a young son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The last two was Joseph and Benjamin. We find that Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in many, many different ways. I'm sure more than any other Old Testament character. And we find as this chapter opens up that Jacob loves this young boy in such a manner, such a way, he's going to give him a coat of many colors. This coat of many colors is a coat of identification. It's going to separate him from his brethren uh, in a manner and way that wherever they might be, when Jacob saw them, he automatically would identify which one was Joseph and which all the rest of them, of course, were not. When you study the scriptures in Judges chapter 5 and also in the book of 1 Samuel, you'll find that king's daughters that were virgins were given a coat of many colors. And also when men went out to battle, when they came back victorious, they would usually wear a garment of many colors to display that they were victorious. And this gave them identification. This coat gives Joseph identification. 
Now, this ought to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Joseph tonight, but I want to set up a few things I want to say about him. Uh, we find that Joseph, again, being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Christ, when he came to this world, uh, he also had identification in a manner and way that showed he was unlike any other man who'd ever lived upon the face of this earth. When he spoke, for example, in John chapter 7, they came back and says, Never man spake like this man spake. They'd heard a lot of men speak, but nobody ever spoke with the authority and the power that the Lord Jesus Christ did. We find that Christ was conceived in the womb of a virgin. No one ever has that, had that experience before or since that time. That was identification. We find as he lived in this world, uh, he lived a life that was separate, holy, and harmless, and undefiled. Uh, he was in this world, but not of this world. And no other man has ever lived upon the face of this earth that was holy, harmless, and undefiled, that was sinless in every way. Uh, God, uh, you know, spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Uh, that's never recorded him any other man. Uh, he had, uh, you know, a special identification of who he was being the Son of God. Well, Joseph here has been shown favor by his father uh, Jacob. And his brothers now have, are going to hate him and envy him. We're told three times in Genesis chapter 37 that they hated him. First of all, it says they hated him. Then it says they hate him more. And then it says they hate him more for his words and also for his dreams. Uh, same thing happened with the Lord Jesus Christ when he came in this world. He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came as on his own, received him not. You find that Joseph is not received as brother. Joseph is rejected by his brother. Joseph is envied by his brother. Joseph is hated by his brother. We see all this in the life of Christ. His brothers are going to conspire uh, to do away with him. And as they're trying to make their final plans, they put him into a pit. And then one of the brothers come and they has, has a suggestion. He says, why don't we perhaps sell him to these Ishmaelites and then they can do with him whatever they want to and, you know, basically we won't be responsible. You know, so it's amazing how people can justify their actions. And so they put him in this pit and Ishmaelites come along and they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites uh, for 20 pieces of silver. Je uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is sold for 30 pieces of silver many hundreds of years later. And uh, we find that his brothers who hated him and rejected him and despised him and envied him now think they have done a way with him. And a way you see Joseph go uh, with these Ishmaelites going out of sight and his brothers think they'll never see him again. Now we come to Genesis chapter 39 and we find the Ishmaelites get to Egypt. And they're going to sell uh, Joseph to a man by the name of Potiphar. The Ishmaelites were not trying to give Joseph his freedom. They only saw him as somebody they could make money on. So they sell him to Potiphar. But here's a very interesting statement said about Joseph concerning his relationship with the Lord. He's in the household of Potiphar, and the Bible says, and the Lord was with him. Now I want to say here, if there was ever anybody in this life that needed the Lord to be with him, it was Joseph. If there was anybody ever in this world who deserved the Lord to be with him, it was Joseph. Joseph's house of Potiphar down the land of Egypt. He's away from his father, away from his family. He has nobody but the Lord to be with him. He's in this household. The Bible says the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did to prosper. This, of course, shows the providence of the Lord. And then two verses later says Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. 
Now here, early, we had a heathen king who saw God was with Abraham and Isaac. Now we got a man down in Egypt, an Egyptian, Potiphar, who recognizes that the Lord is with this boy that I bought from the Ishmaelites. Little did he know when he bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites that he would be this extraordinary, be this special. But he can tell that the hand of the Lord is on this boy. For everything this little boy does is made to prosper. You're going to find, of course, he's got a very ungodly wife. And this ungodly wife makes every effort she can to enter into an adulterous relationship with Joseph. Now, the Lord had to be with this boy because he's totally out of sight of family, totally out of sight of Jacob's father. Uh, he's in a land where he's a stranger, but yet he recognizes that the eyes of God is still upon him. So no matter where you go, understand that the eyes of the Lord are always upon you. And you can get behind a door if you want to and hide yourself from people, but you never hide yourself from God. And Joseph is not out of sight of God. Thank God for that. And the Lord is with him. And the Egyptian, Potiphar, recognizes that the Lord is with him and makes everything he does to prosper. And so he's going to put everything in his hands, of course. He, he trusts uh, Joseph. And when he's away, Potiphar's wife does all she can to try to get Joseph to enter into an adulterous relationship. But Joseph will not do this, and Joseph resists because God gives him the strength, God being with him. Finally, one day, when she makes an advance, uh, Joseph resists again and flees, but she grabs his garment. And she used this as testimony that he had made advances on her, and when her husband Potiphar comes back, he believes the testimony uh, of his wife against Joseph. Therefore, he commits Joseph to prison. So we come to the latter part in Genesis 39. And the Bible says Potiphar put him into the king's prison where the king's prisoners were at. And then it says, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And the head keeper of the prisoner recognizes this and makes him be in charge of all the prisoners in that prison. And the Bible then says for the third time, the second time here, the Lord is with Joseph and made everything he did to prosper. He was with Joseph, was merciful unto Joseph. And he brought him into favor with the head keeper of the prison. Now, the Lord is able to do that. You might be on the job and you might think that you have a, 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 you know, an employer or a boss or a supervisor uh, that's not very kind. And that might be true. If it is, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But the Lord can take and bring you into favor with him. I don't care who he is, how hard a heart he's got. God can bring you into favor with the most evil person that you've ever met. Because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turned the whistle of it as he desireth, and he can bring you into favor with that individual. And he may do you favors he doesn't recognize he's even doing you a favor for, but nevertheless the Lord's able to do that, you see. So we find that the Lord is with Joseph. When I think about this young man at 17 years of age, whose brothers in the flesh hate him, it's hard for me to comprehend that. The Lord blessed me with one brother, just the two of us, uh, but he nor I envy or hate each other. Uh, he loves me and I love him. I think I have an abundant amount of evidence to, to base all that on. Uh, he cares for me. He loves me. I care for him. I love him. I can't imagine hating him or envying him. I can't imagine him envying me and hating me. But Joseph has ten brothers who envied him and hated him. They put him into a pit, sold him to Ishmaelites, down to go down to Egyptian slavery, and he's down the land of Egypt. If anybody ever needed the Lord to be with them, this young man needed the Lord to be with him. 
And the Lord was with him. The Lord gave him, no doubt, encouragement and gave him strength that he did not have within himself. The Lord upheld him and strengthened him in the, in the face of adversity and strengthened him in the face of temptation. The Lord was with Joseph in a very, very special manner, in a very special way. I want to move away from Joseph here. Much more can be said about him. But I want to move over here to a man by the name of Samuel. In the book of Samuel, chapter 1, we find in the third, uh, cha- uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 19, at this point Samuel is beginning to grow up. And the first two chapters, in the first part of chapter 3, we read of the birth of Samuel. He was a miracle child. And uh, there's a lot of miracle children in the Bible. Isaac was a miracle child. Samuel was a miracle child. John the Baptist was a miracle child. When you get right down to it, I guess we're all miracle children, one way or the other. But anyway, I'm telling you that uh, John the Baptist was a miracle child because his mother was well stricken in years and too old to have a child, but God blessed her to conceive. And you're going to find where Hannah was barren, but she prayed to God that he might bless her with a child. And God heard that prayer, answered that prayer, and gave her a son. Now, you're going to find where Samuel is a miracle child, and God's hand is upon him in a very special manner, in a very special way. There is a man uh, at this time that's one of the you know, rulers there in Israel by the name of Eli, who's a very evil, wicked man. But Samuel's going to come up under him. And we come to the 19th verse of chapter 3. And it says, For the Lord was with Samuel, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, when I preach, when Brother Chris preaches, other ministers preach, there's always a concern our words fall to the ground. I want my words to fall between your ears. I want my words to fall in your heart. And I believe when the Lord's with us and blessed with his presence, that happens at least to some people in the congregation. But I'm afraid with some people, they fall to the ground. In other words, they fall to the ground, then they haven't benefited somebody. You don't want God's word to fall to the ground. I'm sure in your experience, you've come to the house of God, and the preacher has preached, and you leave there feeling like his words fell to the ground. It wasn't the preacher's fault. At least, in generally speaking, I don't think it was the preacher's fault because other people felt like it, it fell between their ears and fell in their heart, but to you it fell to the ground because you didn't come praying, you didn't come prepared as you need to be prepared. You come to the house of God, think about yesterday, what didn't go right. You think about tomorrow, how, what you're going to be doing then, and the first thing you know, the service is over and you leave and you're no better off than you were when you got there. The preacher's words fell to the ground. I don't want my words to fall to the ground. I want my words to fall in your heart. I want my words to fall between your ears in your mind. And in Samuel's case, God blessed him that his words did not fall to the ground. The next verse says, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. How did they know that? Because as a prophet, he was judged to be a true prophet or a false prophet. Concerning what he prophesied, did it come to pass? If it didn't come to pass, then he was turned to be a false prophet. If it came to pass, he would turn to be a true prophet. But you see, the prophecy I gave you in Isaiah, by the way, a while ago, didn't come to pass for 700 years. So somebody says, well, how in the world could they judge whether Isaiah was a true prophet or not if his prophecy didn't come to pass for 700 years? Because that's not the only prophecy he prophesied. There were other prophecies he prophesied that came to pass in his lifetime. Most, a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament have a short-term fulfillment, and they have a long-term fulfillment. Uh, always remember that. A short-term 
and a long-term fulfillment. The short-term fulfillment determined whether a prophet was a true prophet or not. See, this prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14, they could not tell if, that, if he was a true prophet with that or not because it wouldn't come to pass for 700 years down the road. But the Bible says that Samuel was established to be a prophet in the minds of the people uh, because God was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, what Samuel said came to pass. What Samuel said, they came, it came to pass and they understood these are words of truth. Therefore, the Lord had to be with this man. He had to be a true prophet. Again, my concern is when I preach, are my words falling to the ground? Or are my words falling in the hearts of the Lord's people? I want to fall into the hearts of the Lord's people. If it doesn't, it's not going to really do them much good. I want it to fall between the ears of the Lord's people. You've got to have, of course, an open mind. You've got to have a spiritual mind. You've got to have a prepared mind and a prepared heart if you want the, the ground to be prepared properly so the seed will fall in there and not just fall to the ground. The Lord was with this man Samuel. And the Lord was always with Samuel. I can give you all the illustrations about that. Uh, but we're going to move over to another man by the name of David. We find that David uh, was a man after God's own heart. And before David, there's a man by the name of Saul of Kish. Saul of Kish was the first king of Israel, and he was a king that the people wanted. Uh, the difference between Saul and David is that David was a choice of God, and Saul was a choice of men. And the choice of men, Saul of Kish, it proved out he was a choice of men, and he's going to fail miserably. We're going to find... There comes a time in 1 Samuel 16 that the Lord departs from Saul. Now, the very fact that God has promised to always be with us does not mean that he will not depart from us in gross disobedience. And he departs from Saul. And so Saul says, bring me a man that might play before me. And one of his servants says, well, I have seen a man who's the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And there's six things he's going to say about David, the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. Says he is a... He's a comely player. He's a very, very good player. Says he's a man of war. Says he's a man of valor. Says he's a comely person and he's prudent in matters. That's five. The last one is the most important one. The last one, number six, is, and the Lord is with him. Now, how did that servant of Saul know the Lord was with David? Obviously by observation. Because at this time, David's already done some miraculous things. As a young lad watching over his father's sheep, a bear tried to take one of them one time, and David went out and slew that bear. There came a time a lion came and tried to take one out of the flock that David was watching of his father's sheep, and David slew that lion. Word gets around fast with those kind of exploits, I can assure you right now. Word gets around fast. The word had spread concerning this young man. It says uh, he's a very good player. David was a very t gifted and talented man, by the way. Uh, when you study his life, uh, he was very, very gifted. Remember that time he was a prisoner and he made like he was a madman? In other words, a man insane. He began to just, you know, uh, the spit began to kind of come out of his mouth and one thing and another. They thought he was crazy. Well, he wasn't. He was crazy like a fox. Uh, here's a man that was very gifted and very talented. And so that comes by observation. Somebody says, yes, he's a very good player. So they get him to come and play the harp for King Saul. It says also, he's a comely man. Uh, he's a very nice-looking man. It says he's a prudent man in matters. And it says uh, he's a man of war. And he's a valiant man, a man of valor. Well, how do they know all these things? Because his life had been observed by those all around. And people observe your life. 
You know, uh, I never have worn a badge saying I'm a Christian. I don't intend to. Uh, the Lord's people don't have to do that. If you've got to advertise it, chances are you're not. If you've got to advertise it uh, that way, then chances are you're not. Uh, people are going to know it. If somebody wants to know you're a Christian, they need to ask your neighbor, your co-worker, your friends, uh, other family members. They can tell, tell them real quick what kind of person you are. That, you see what I'm saying here? All right, David didn't wear a badge saying, I'm a special person. The Lord is with me. It came by observation. The last thing they say about David is, and the Lord is with him. Well, anybody can slay a bear and a lion with their bare hands. Uh, no rifles back then. Okay, no rifles back then. No shotguns back then. No mighty weapons we have today back then. You know, when you sit in a deer stand and you camouflage and you're just sitting there and the deer can't see you and walks down below you and you kill him, what have you really done? Now, I want you to go out and slay a bear and a lion. That's what I want you to do. And then we'll, then we'll put you on the same level of David. Uh, David slew a bear and a lion barehanded and the news spread. They said the Lord is with him. This is before he slays Goliath. Wonder what they said after that. Chapter 17 brings that to our attention. When he goes out with a sling and five smooth stones. And he's going to fight a giant that's between nine and ten feet tall that was an experienced man in war. And he looks at David and just ridicules him. David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And David took one stone out of five. And he takes that stone and he slings that stone. And through the promise of God, it finds its mark in the forehead of the giant. And the giant is slain. David takes a sword out of, uh, away from Goliath, his own sword, and cuts his head off. And David emerged victorious. Certainly the Lord was with him in that battle. The Lord was with him all along his earthly journey. But that's an observation that I want you to notice here. That this servant of Saul had about David is that the Lord is with him. Now, I would like to live in such a manner way people say the Lord's with me. And uh, I, I think you would too, that you could uh, live in such a way that you could feel the Lord with you. And other people would see, see that the Lord is with you in your life. He was with Joseph. He was with Samuel. He was with David. He was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but let's look over here in Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, you're going to find... Uh, of course, going back to chapter 13, you're going to find where 12 spies went to spy out the land of Canaan. And these 12 spies come back, and two out of those 12, Joshua and Caleb, have a different report than the other 10. The 10 come back, and all 12 agreed on this. The land we went to spy out is a good land. It's a fruitful land. It's a, a land that flows with milk and honey. They all had that testimony. But the 10 spies said, uh, but we also saw some giants over there. And we saw some great walled cities over there. And we are not able. Notice their land. We are not able to take the land. All right, I got a question. Was that land called the promised land for a reason? The land of Canaan is called the promised land over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It was called the promised land because of the land God promised to give his people Israel. If God promised to give them the land, they should have believed that God would enable them to conquer the giants and also those great walled cities. Ten of them did not believe they could do it. Two of them did. Joshua and Caleb did. Joshua and Caleb speak up and they said, we are well able. No, we're not just able. We are well able. You know why they thought they were well able? Because they believed that God was able. That's a great theme taught in the word of God, that God is able. That was the theme of the Hebrew children, was it not? When they were placed in the fiery furnace, they told that king... 
Uh, you know, they didn't have to have a prayer meeting about, about this, by the way. Uh, you know, I try to encourage God's people to pray about everything, but there are some things you don't have to pray about. For example, you didn't have to pray about whether you should come to church here tonight or not. I hope you didn't pray about that. Lord, should I go to church tonight? Lord, should I stay home and watch TV? Lord, should I go to church tonight? Or, Lord, uh, should I do this, that, or the other? You don't have to get the family together on Saturday night and say, Now, tomorrow's Sunday. And uh, we're going to, you know, we could go to church. That's, that's one option. We could go to church. Uh, or, you know, it's going to be 75 degrees tomorrow. It'd be a great day to spend time with the children in the park. And, you know, I got three buddies that wouldn't like me to join with them around a the golf tomorrow. And it'd be a great day to do that. And, and, you know, no winds is scheduled. So it'd probably be a great day to fish. We got all kind of options out here. Maybe we'll just pray about what the Lord would have us to do. You think you got to pray about that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. And the Hebrew children did not pray whether they should cease or whether they should bow down before that idol or not. They said, Our God is able and he shall deliver us out of thy hand, O king. They were confident about that based upon the ability of God. Based upon the ability of God. Joshua and Caleb says, We are well able to take it. Well able. We come to the 14th chapter, and in that report, the 10 brought. The Bible called it an evil report because it caused the hearts of the people to melt. And we start off chapter 14, the book of Numbers. And you're going to find where all the people of the congregation now are very upset. And they begin to talk this kind of language. Uh, we have come out to this wilderness to die. We'd have been better off to die in Egypt, which they didn't. We said we could have we'd been better off to die in Egypt or in this country. You need to be careful what you wish for because they are going to die in that wilderness. Everybody above the age of 20 is going to die in the wilderness. But their children will not. They said, you brought our children out here to die in the wilderness. Their children will not die. Their children will go into the land of Canaan. They said, we need to make us a leader and go back to Egypt. Go back to Egypt. We find where Moses and Aaron fell before them. And Joshua and Caleb once again spoke up. And here's what they said. They said, if the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this good land. That flows with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. And be not afraid of the enemy. For they be bread for us. For the Lord is with us. Now notice how they start that out. If the Lord delight in us. You know I've been through two building projects. Church building projects. That's enough for any man. That's enough for any man. Uh, went through this one. And the Lord prospered us greatly. The Lord blessed us greatly, did he not? And you know why? Because it was his delight. It was his will for us to do that. And at Bethel Church in Nashville, I'm telling you, we would have never got to first base if the Lord had not delighted in us. But we made it all the way around the home plate. We made a home run on it. And there was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. There was problem after problem after problem. But we pressed on. We kept looking up. We kept trying to walk by faith. Asking God to remove the obstacle. And bring us in the favor of all those that were opposing us. And my friends, we got a built. If the Lord delight in us. Be not afraid of the enemy. They be bread for us. And it says, for the Lord is with us. That's the key, is it not? The Lord is with us. That's why Joshua and Caleb felt like they could go into Canaan's land and conquer that land because the Lord was with them. What a difference it makes. Ask Samson if you could, if it made a difference with the Lord being with you or not. Surely the Lord had to be with that man for him to do the things he did. 
There's a time when Samson took 300 foxes, tied their tails together, and sent them out to the cornfields of the Philistines. Now, I can just visualize that. In my mind, there's the cornfield of the Philistines, and lo and behold, 300 foxes, all their tails tied together, and with a firebrand put in it, and burning up the fields of corn of the Philistines. He took a jawbone of an ass and slew a thousand men. Surely the Lord was with this man. But there came a time when the devil used a woman. The devil has used a lot of women down through the ages, but he's used a lot of men too. But it seems like the Bible does say more about the women. But anyway, we find the Lord, we find the devil has used a woman of the name of Delilah. And she gets Samson. She gets Samson to reveal unto her where his strength is at. And his strength was in the Lord, but he was a Nazarite and he was not to cut his hair. While he slept with his head on her lap. Dangerous position. When he slept with his head in her lap, he told her, he told her what his work was about the hair, and she had them to come and cut his hair while he slept. The Bible says in Judges chapter 16. When Samson awoke, he said, I'll go out as I have in times past, not knowing the Lord had departed from him. I believe I've witnessed men who preached in great power and demonstration of spirit only to come a time in their life when the Lord departed from them. That's a great fear I have, that the Lord will be, not be with me. Because if the Lord is not with me, I can assure you there will be no preaching. And that's true with every man, every God-called man. The Lord is either with him or he's not, and he can't preach without the Lord. If the Lord withdraws his presence from him, then everybody can understand just how weak man is apart from God. Samson went out just like before, but all of a sudden he's an ordinary man. All men without the Lord are just ordinary men. Always remember this. The best of men, always just men at best. Don't ever forget that. The very best of men, no matter who they are, are just men at best. They're just men. They're frail, weak individuals who can do nothing apart from God. Do nothing apart from God. We find Samson came to the painful realization of that lesson. I want one more Old Testament lesson tonight. It goes to the sixth chapter in the book of Joshua. The last verse of Joshua chapter 6 ends like this. And the Lord is with Joshua. And his fame spread throughout the land. You know what the sixth chapter of Joshua is about? It's about a great fortified city by the name of Jericho falling down flat. It's about God giving Joshua a plan to conquer Jericho. The first great city they faced when they crossed Jordan's River into the land of Canaan was the city of Jericho. Great fortified city. And the Lord gave them a very unusual plan to say the least. When you come to Judges chapter, excuse me, Joshua chapter 6, the fourth verse has seven, four sevens in it. Seven priests shall go before the ark. They shall blow with seven trumpets. They shall walk around the city seven days. On the seventh day, they shall walk around it seven times. Four sevens, seven in the Bible is the number of completion and perfection. There's four of them in that verse. Seven priests, seven trumpets of ram's horns. They're going to march around. Seven days and seven times on the seventh day. When they march around seven times on the seventh day, they blow the trumpet and they give a shout. Prior to this time, those walls have never trembled. Prior to this time, those walls have never cracked. 
Prior to that time, those walls looked just the same as they always have, but the plan is not being carried out in completion yet. Seventh time on the seventh day, they blow the trumpet, they shout. The Bible says that all the walls fell flat inward. The last verse of Joshua chapter 6 says, And the Lord was with Joshua. I've thought about that a few times. And I've thought like this. If I'd have been in Joshua's army, I might have went to Joshua on the side. And I might have said, Joshua, I know i got great confidence in you. But I just want to check with you one more time. Are you sure this is the plan? Uh, the plan, we, we, we're going to march around this city one time a day for six days. And by the way, we can't even say anything. He says, you go around, you're not to open your mouth, you're not to say a word. You see, that had to have been incredibly hard for some people. Some people just couldn't have done it. You can't get some people to stay quiet six minutes, much less six days, and they're going to do it for six days and seven times on the last day. I'm bound to ask him that question. Are you sure this is the plan? This is the plan, Brother Lawrence. This is the plan. Okay. Never seen a plan like this one. And I'm sure after they'd gone around six times, I'm sure the enemy on top of the walls was hurling insults. That's why they were not supposed to speak. They were not supposed to get in a verbal confrontation. They were to keep their minds on the plan. It was a test of discipline and structure. Keep your mind on the Lord. Keep your mind on the plan. They go around the seventh day. They go around six times and nothing's happened. But after that seventh time, and the trumpets blew, and the shout came forth, the walls fell flat. The Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Let's go back to Matthew one i I've given you some examples tonight how the Lord, since the very beginning of time, has been with his children in very special ways. I believe the Lord has been with me along life's journey. In a lot of ways, I could take the balance of the time up tonight to say, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. I'm sure if we had the time, every one of you could... Stand up here and give a testimony how the Lord has been with you along life's journey and delivered you out of one thing, out of another. When I come in to Matthew one twenty three. it says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. A virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Now here we find where God is with us in a different way than which I've been talking to you about tonight. God is with us in the fact that God himself is going to leave heaven and come down this earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second person of the Godhead, which is referred to as the word, capital W-O-R-D, is going to be made flesh. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and tabernacle or dwelt among us. We're talking about God becoming man. That's how God is with us now in Matthew 1.23. God becomes man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's also the son of man. He's all God. He's all man. And he came to represent a people referred to by two letters, U.S. us. I'm kind of interested in that word us. Am I embracing that word us? I hope so. That word us is found several times in the first chapter of Ephesians. It goes a little bit like this. Verse 3. Blessed be the Lord God, Lord God of our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his own will, 
Praise the glory of His grace when He's made us accepted in the Beloved. The us in Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6 is the us in Matthew 1, 23. By interpretation, God with us. In other words, God is with His people in their entirety. God is with His people totally and completely. His people, His family, His children, His church, His bride, which is made up of a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. God with us. If God had not been with us in the person of his son, we'd have no hope tonight. I look up in Hebrews 7 and 26. It says, for he became us. He became us. Holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. In other words, he represented us. In his life, he represented us. The Lord Jesus Christ lived a life that we couldn't live. The Lord Jesus Christ did a work we couldn't do. The Lord Jesus Christ crossed every T and dotted every I on our behalf. If he had not, we'd have no hope tonight. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a life of 33 and a half years, a life of total perfection, wholeness, righteousness, undefiled, and again, separate from sinners. Now, what's that expression mean, separate from sinners? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that Christ interacted with sinners. Christ handled sinners. Christ talked to sinners. He talked sinners. He preached to sinners. He ate with sinners. He was separate from sinners from the standpoint that his, uh, his nature was sinless and his life was sinless. Christ never sinned in word, never sinned in emotion, never sinned in action, never sinned in thought. Uh, he was perfect, holy, harmless, undefiled in every aspect, in every way. Being by interpretation, God with us. If God had not been with us 2,000 years ago in the person of his son, we'd have no reason to be here tonight. We'd have no hope. Uh, we'd have no comfort. We'd have no peace. We'd have no consolation. But I'm telling you tonight that Jesus Christ came this world, uh, born of a virgin Mary, a little baby wrapped in swollen clothes and laid in a manger, and his name was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Christ hung upon that cross... That was God with us. When he hung upon that cross, he lived a life of representation. He represented you and I on that cross. If you love the Lord, you were there in Christ on that cross. If you enjoy hearing the gospel preached, you were in Christ on that cross. If you enjoy reading the word of God, and if you go into a season of prayer with God, and you pray to God, and you try to have communion with God, I'm telling you, you with Christ on that cross nearly 2,000 years ago, because his name was called Emmanuel by interpretation, God with us. I hope tonight we can comprehend that in just a little bit, that God was with us in the person of his son. When God comes again, brother, and he sees you, he's going to see you in his son. He's going to see you through the life of his son. He's going to see perfection because he sees you in his son. His son represented you nearly 2,000 years ago. He walked the shores of time for 33 and a half years. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet he kept his face like a flint headed toward Jerusalem steadfast. And he made it all the way, my friends, without any detours, without being sidetracked in any way. How many times have you been sidetracked along the way? You know... Uh, over the years, I, I think I've heard every excuse imaginable by God's people while they are not at church. But every once in a while, they come up with a new one. When I think I've heard the last one, when I think I've heard the very best one or the worst one, whatever how you want to look at it, I've ever heard, there always comes up one more. There's his sister in the church, and 
She's very sporadic. She's there. She's not. And it had been a while since she'd been there. Well, the other day, I had the opportunity to talk to her a little bit. And here was her reason. Brother Lawrence, I work five days a week. And on Saturday, that's the only day I've got to do my running around. And by the end of the day, after Saturday, after six days, I'm wore out. I'm just too tired to get up and go to church. I'm thought, well, I'm sure glad the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't too tired to meet the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 by Jacob's well. The Bible says he was weary in his journey, but he had an appointment with a, with a woman there at Jacob's well. I'm sure glad that Christ didn't come one day and say, well, I've come along the way a long way, but I'm just too tired to go all the way to Calvary. I don't think I can make it up Golgotha's hill any further. I'm just too tired and I'm too wore out. I'm glad the Lord didn't have that attitude, aren't you? And imagine she's telling this to the preacher. I said, you know, we got an 82-year-old member who drives 100 miles one way every Sunday without failure. Every Sunday, 100 miles, 82 years old. And he comes to Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. He passes hundreds of other places called churches. You know why he comes to Bethel? Because he believes in the doctrine of sovereign grace. He believes in an omnipotent God. He believes in salvations of the Lord. And he has a soul, my friends, has a hunger and thirst to hear the truth of God's salvation. And he says that hundred miles is well worth it. And you know what? He's the first one there every Sunday morning. Can you imagine that? When I was growing up, it took us an hour to get to church. And I couldn't understand why we had to be the first ones there. But we were... And I couldn't understand why we had to be the last one to leave. But we were. Later on in life, I began to understand why my dad wanted to be the first one there. My dad had a desire to be in the house of God. He wanted to be in church to hear about this one who lived for him. He wanted to be at the house of God to be with the one whose name was called Emmanuel, which means God being with us. He wouldn't hear about a man that lived for him and died for him and suffered for him. He was buried from a rose for him and one day going to come back for him. Amen. That's worth driving a hundred miles for. If I had to drive a hundred, I'd drive a hundred. Right now, I think I'd drive five hundred. Don't ask me tomorrow, I might go and drive ten. <laughs> when you're in the spirit, you might say anything. <laughs> I've had people promise many times to come to a meeting when they're in the spirit only a few months later. They say, well, I forgot I had this other obligation. Aren't you glad the Lord wasn't too tired, too weary along the way? Think the Lord ever took a day off? Had a woman one time to tell me that she had a headache on Wednesday. So I just won't be able to be at church on Sunday. I said, we got four days to work on this. We got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, surely you're not going to keep that headache four days. I'll buy you some extra great Tylenol. We'll begin to work on this right now. It's just amazing, isn't it? I just leave this thought tonight. That God was with his people and his son. I'm talking about all the electum God. Nearly 2,000 years ago. And he accomplished eternal redemption on behalf of his people and secured their salvation. Aren't you glad God was with us, U.S.? But I'm also glad that God has been with us individually along the journey of life. How many times I can relate tonight, I believe that the hand of the Lord intervened on my behalf 
and delivered me from some of the seen dangers, and I don't know how many unseen dangers along life's pathway, that God has intervened on behalf of this unworthy sinner tonight to stand before you, were it not for his great providential care, you'd have a different guest preacher here tonight. Thank you.